Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, and today we're talking about transgender health. Our special guests today are Dr. David Rosenthal. He's the medical director for the Center for Transgender Care at Northwell Health. And we have Dr. Amy West, who is a sports medicine physiatrist in the Department of Orthopedics. And today our co-host is Adar Novak. Adar, start us off. Dr. Rosenthal, can you tell us a little bit about why personal pronouns are so important in the doctor's office? So pronouns are really important because what they do is they let people really feel validated. Um, It's important for people to be able to be referred to by the name that they actually go by rather than being referred to as what people call their dead name or the name that they actually don't go by um, that they were born with. And that's, that's important for trans folks because what it does is it lets them know that you as the provider are really caring about them and really have an ability to make sure that you can understand and address some of their needs. And why is it important for people to be ha- to have that open and honest, especially with their doctor or their orthopedist? Why is it important to have that open and honest conversation? Well, it's important to have that conversation because in order to fully treat someone, you have to understand, you know, where they're coming from as a patient. So, um, especially in my, in my specialty and looking at someone's physical body, um, they're, uh, essentially someone who, uh, is transitioning or has transitioned, understanding that process, uh, by understanding that medical process, you can understand the, the different effects it has on, on their musculoskeletal health. And I, I deal primarily with that. So, um, in order to fully treat them and to understand uh, why they get certain injuries or how, why they are more prone to certain injuries, understanding the, the medical, uh, the, the medical transition process is important and patients want to feel understood when they're at the, at the doctor's visit. Dr. Rosenthal, there are a number of states that have recently passed legislation limiting access to healthcare for transgender kids and teens involving their transition or a potential transition. Can you speak a little bit about how that has an overall impact on patients? Sure. So I think one of the things that it's really important to remember is is that as you're transitioning and as you identify, it's really important that we're able to create an ability for individuals to have comfort with themselves. Um, and that really includes comfort with their body, comfort the way, with the way that they see themselves, and comfort with the way that others perceive themselves. And this is really ex- extremely important for youth. Um, we know that there are some studies that came out from the CDC showing that the likelihood of suicidality occurring within transgender youth was extremely high. There was a survey that was done that was published the, using the, the latest data um, that talked about, you know, one in three individuals um, could actually can attempt suicide that are young adults that are in high schools. And so what we really need to talk about is how we can take these individuals and make sure that we can treat them for who they are, give them the healthcare that they need in a way that makes them feel loved and validated by their communities while they're continuing to address these other issues. The reason this legislation is so challenging and difficult is is what it does is it removes the ability for providers to provide healthcare based on the patient's identity and the way that they identify themselves. Let's take a step back for a second. If we're going to look at a couple of terms, it's really important for us to understand the difference between gender identity and sexual orientation. So gender identity, I think, was best explained by a friend of mine, Cecilia Gentili, who's an actress and an advocate for the trans community in New York City, that your gender identity is what's between your ears. 
whereas your sex, whereas your gender identity is not what's between your hips. And I think what we remember that is if we think about things that way, it's really how you perceive of yourself. It's how you see yourself. It's how you think about yourself. And it's important for us to remember if we're going back to medical school that when you're thinking about things along the carbon molecule chain, if things are all in the same formation, they're in cis formation. Whereas if things are facing the opposite direction, they're in trans formation. So by being transgender, your gender assigned at birth is different than your current gender identity. And it's important to remember that if you're cisgender, which is another term, it's when your gender identity is the same as your current um, your gender presentation. People, the other thing that we should define is sexual orientation. So when we're looking at sexual orientation, we need to understand that's who you're romantically attracted to. It's who you're, you're romantically attracted to. And that's typically going to be individuals that are going to be heterosexual, gay, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual. And so what we need to do when we're thinking about all of this legislation is that we, we need to make sure that we're able to address people's gender identity and sexual orientation and provide the health care that's going to be central for them to make sure that their needs are being met and that we can take care of their needs to make sure that they are living happy and healthy lives both during young adulthood and adolescence and childhood and then also as they become older. Dr. Rosenthal, what are the psychological impacts here for the people that this legislation actually affects? I think the, leg the legislation that came out has an enormous psychological impact, not only on those people that live in those, those jurisdictions, but also among the greater community that are people that are living as being transgender individuals. And the reason that is, is because people are afraid. People are afraid that their rights are going to be taken away. People are afraid that their ability to be their true authentic self is being taken away. And that can cause a lot of depression, a lot of sadness, a lot of challenges. And we're really talking about this population as a minority stress population, as a population, if we talk about racial and ethnic minorities, those are very important. But this is a sexual minority population. And we need to make sure we're addressing the sexual minority population in a way that that addresses the fact that they have significant stigma that's often held against them. And we need to address that stigma in a way that's affirming and supportive. The challenges that happened, and we were seeing this earlier after a nightclub shooting or earlier that happened after an incident that happened when people were not allowed to be in the military or other things that have happened through history, where there's this fear that happens among the transgender community or the LGBT community at large, where people feel that they're not going to be able to be themselves, that they're not going to be able to be out as themselves and be able to live their lives as they want to live their lives. Because individuals that are trans, I, they come and see me for every medical issue. They're all sorts of different ages. They do every kind of occupation. They're individuals doing everything in the world. And I think that it's important for us to remember that we need to make sure that all of those individuals can receive the health care they need and also that they don't have to live in fear for being their true authentic selves in, in the world. There are so many controversial aspects to this, but Dr. West, can you ground us in the science a little bit and talk about why yeah. it's so important to address the musculoskeletal health of the transgender athlete? Well, as far as um, musculoskeletal health is concerned, uh, the different uh, medications that are involved in a transition as well as uh, the surgical interventions that may be involved have different effects on the body. So something like um, estrogen, for example, by taking exogenous estrogen that has effects on bone density, it has effects on muscle mass and fat mass distribution. So um, when someone is transitioning, taking into account the, 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 you know, if they're taking estrogen, what, how that affects the body is something that uh, cannot be forgotten when treating their, their injuries, you know, getting an injury 
it's a complicated process when you have exogenous hormones on board. Similarly with testosterone, um, you know, seeing uh, specifically in uh, the trans male population, we're seeing things like um, avulsion injuries. So essentially, um, you know, or, uh, or compart there have been cases reported of compartment syndrome, essentially when your muscle mass kind of outgrows the, the fascia that it lies in because of the rapid muscle growth that's happening in a short period of time. So these are things that, we haven't really seen before necessarily that are now popping up as being more common. So uh, looking at things like that, um, even when we're uh, also talking about um, trans men who've had top surgery, so they'll have uh, a lot of scar tissue in the, in the chest region. Um, they'll have sometimes uh, so from years of sort of binding and, and hiding their, their breasts, they'll have a lot of uh, chest pain, shoulder pain, uh, thoracic back pain, so learning, sort of recognizing that and why they have those problems, but then also finding them the resources to to help treat them. So, and these are things that are very specific to that population. So I think it's also important to realize that you need expertise and care. And so really the model that we've we've put together here at Northwell Health is bringing together people that are that are experts in different areas of medicine and making sure that we can take the excellence that they bring with their specialty into the care of transgender health, which is different than a model where often have been used by other locations where you're taking primary care providers and then having them do transgender health. And so in this way, we provide really excellence in care in sports medicine through the resources we're able to provide through Dr. West and excellence in care for gender affirming surgery through resources that we're able to have from our gender affirming surgeon, um, Dr. David Whitehead. And so I think that it's really important across the board that we take this expertise and we're able to kind of bridge that knowledge across the board and make sure that we can have knowledge that's deep and that's also very evidence-based um, for both pediatric patients, like our pediatric endocrinologists and our adult endocrinologists that really can make and take care of these needs of individuals. Yeah. I think when you talk about right getting the proper health care, um, I guess the books have to be rewritten a little bit or there's got to be changes in the way medicine is taught. Is that something that's happening now in medical schools? Absolutely. So I've been working with the Hofstra School of Medicine for quite some time, and we've been working on kind of updating and revising our curriculum. So LGBT health used to have a very small portion when Dr. West and I probably went through medical school in our curriculum. Um, and over time, we've been able to kind of work with the School of Medicine and, and the, the support of the deans and all of the, the academicians there and be able to integrate LGBT health throughout the, the four years of medical school curriculum, starting with information in the first year, going into the second year, bringing that through into the third year, and then tying that together with more clinical adaptable models in the fourth year. Um, and um, Dr. Block and I were able to write a paper recently talking about this curriculum that we we're able to kind of put together for the medical school in the first year about how in the very first part of medical school, how do you get a social history? How do you ask a sexual history? How do you not make assumptions when you're able to obtain these things? If you ask someone, are you straight or gay? You're going to get a different answer than if you ask someone an open-ended question. Do you like men or women? Are you sexually attracted to men or women or both? It, it removes that paradigm. And I think the key concept is how do we ask these questions? How do we remove the heteronormative cisgendered um, assumptions that we've usually historically made within medicine? And we really ask open-ended questions to learn more about our patients. I use that as a corollary when we're talking about substance abuse. If you go into a room and you're talking to a young adult and you're saying, have you ever, ever in your life smoked marijuana? Yeah. Everyone's gonna say, no, 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 never, never done that. 
But I think if you ask an open-ended question in a way that's going to be able to get an honest answer, you're going to be able to get the right information that you need. And then you're going to be able to really address the healthcare needs of that individual in the best way. And that's what this is all about. Yeah. And and Dr. West, from what I understand, you're writing a textbook about um, transgender athletes. Correct. Yeah. So I'm working on a, a textbook right now about the transgender athlete. It's primarily geared for uh, sports medicine providers and orthopedists and all kind of allied professionals who work with athletes. Because right now we find ourselves as, you know, musculoskeletal providers, we're being asked about things like um, team and uh, sport inclusion policies and and team, you know, locker rooms. And, um, you know, we're being asked about things that most people who work in, in this field just don't, aren't, we just don't know much about because we're not taught about it. And we are thinking, you know, bones and muscles and tendons and not in the context of sort of a greater social uh, context or, um, or in, in reference to what are current legal aspects. And, and people are looking to us to, to make those calls essentially to have knowledge of those things. Uh, so there's been sort of this hole in the, in the knowledge. So working to kind of help fill that. So, um, and there's not many people who know much about it. So I'm trying to gather those people right now to, to get this book together. So hopefully uh, by next year we should have something. So. How do you find those people? Well, um, I've spoken at a few conferences, um, national conferences about this subject and, Often, you know, there'll be one person who who has the interest or has a case that they've dealt with that they've sort of had to self-educate about the process. And, you know, we, we've gotten I've gotten into different conversations that way or, you know, teaming up with people like Dr. Rosenthal, who are sort of at established centers of, of transgender care. So then and through those people being able to connect to other people who have expertise in the area. I think it's a great question. I think that the short answer is phone a friend. <laughs> so I think that in healthcare, we're able to establish colleagues and collaborations with colleagues all across the United States and the world that we interact with in professional societies. And I think that transgender medicine is something that we're all learning about. And it's something that really the book wasn't written and it's still not written um, across the board. And so I think we're writing the text and doing the research and finding the answers every single day as we're kind of taking care of individuals. And we're still developing the longitudinal studies and questions and things we need to look at so we can really provide optimal health. One thing that we really want to do is, is not just ask the questions now, but figure out what's what the impact of these things are going to be five years, 15, 30 years, 50 years from now, and really understand that across the population of individuals um, and be able to make sure that we can design health interventions. Yeah, similarly, looking at it, an issue such as bone density. So when we evaluate someone's bone density, we use T-scores, Z-scores, which are uh, compared to gender and age-matched, uh, you know, the gender and age-matched population. So in a transitioning population, who do, who do we compare those scores to? How do we measure bone density? That's still like a very, it's a very big question. And um, there's been, there's really no good way to to assess that right now necessarily. So that's one of those questions long-term that we have to look at or, or how do hormones change the way that you move? I mean, it changes your body, but then how does it also change your movement patterns and how you, your neuromuscular activation, all of these things, you know, the idea of someone, you know, quote unquote, throwing like a boy, you know, there's something to that. Um, and it's more than just the muscles and the tendons. It's, it's how the movement patterns progress. So, how does that change over uh, a transition period? You don't really know. So, you know, there's more questions to ask, more answers to find. This really affects every aspect of medicine across the board and how we really need to talk about individuals. And so it's important that we're able to understand that as people are gender nonconforming or transitioning from more masculine 
the feminine with a certain amount of years of hormone experience, what does that do to our overall physiology to affect not only sports medicine and primary prevention, but really every aspect of medicine? Yeah, that brings us to a, a segment we like to do called prescriptions. So with, with that in mind, what have we gotten right and what do we really still need a lot of work on? And I, I will go, go to Dr. West and then we'll go to Dr. Rosenthal. Um, well, I mean, I think I w- we're taking steps in the right direction as far as uh, making a, um, a a comfortable clinical experience for these individuals. Um, I know that there's been, uh, you know, as far as in the medical record, for example, you can identify um, as a as gender queer, as male to female. I mean, that's something now that can be designated in your chart when you so that when the other you know, providers are looking through, they can, they can see that and they can see, you, know, you can make a note as what the pronouns to be used and things like that. So I know in in my clinics, a lot of my staff hadn't seen that before. So like, what does this mean? Was that, you know, so it, it opens up um, the opportunity for discussion and then also for the patient to be more comfortable in the clinical setting. And that's the first step is getting people to be comfortable and want to come back and want to seek care. So I think that that's really an important piece. And so one thing we were able to do at Northwell Health is in 2019, we were able to implement our SOGI project or our sexual orientation gender identity project across our entire ambulatory network of over 600 practices. Um, And I created training working with diversity and health equity um, and using funding from New York State to be able to create an educational module where we're able to really provide resources to train over 5,000, 6,000 registrars, to train over 6,000 registrars on exactly how we're able to provide and ask these questions so that we can gather this information for individuals and then we can put it in the medical record. And what we are doing now is we're working on another project where we're going to be training over 10,000 health system individuals over this coming year about the importance of gender identity, sexual orientation, how to use pronouns, and how we really understand the transgender community here at Northwell Health. And so it's important what we do is, is we're able to gather that information, but there's a lot more work to do. We really need every provider have a level of competency. And then there's going to be certain providers that are going to have levels of knowledge and excellence. And so what we have to do is this is not a topic that was really taught when we were in medical school. And this is not something that that was really taught 10 years ago in medical school. And so really creating a level of baseline knowledge across the medical profession and all of our associated providers, because we need security when we're greeting people at our hospitals to be welcoming. We need our dietary staff in our hospitals. We need our environmental engineers being um, affirming in our hospitals. We need our receptionists and our secretaries. We need our nurses, our phlebotomists, and our physical therapists. Every one of them, all members of our healthcare system, really need to understand this issue. And so there's a lot of work to be able to kind of help educate the entire health healthcare workforce and really understand what we are going to do and so that everyone can address this population. So, so we're almost at the end of our time here on 20 Minute Health Talk, and we always like to end on a positive note. So I want to ask both of you, um, and I'll start with you, Dr. West, going forward, what gives you hope? What gives you optimism? Well, I mean, I, I, I guess I before the, the fact that people are asking questions um that there is uh, a desire to learn more about the trans population to provide better health care to understand uh the population better so that it's very hopeful you know that the idea that we are sitting here having this conversation that people are listening to this wanting to learn more it's all very encouraging and dr rosenthal what gives you hope so just five years ago when we created the center for transgender care here at northwell 
there was really very little discussion within healthcare settings about taking care of trans individuals. It was something that was done in niches. It was done in private practices. It was work that was done individually. And I think what we've seen is we've seen a transformation of healthcare where there is a desire to continue to adapt healthcare systems to understand trans individuals. And I think that there's a lot more work to be done, but I think that there's interest in this area. And what we need to do is we need to continue to make sure that we have resources to meet the needs of these patients, to understand the needs of these patients, um, to raise philanthropic funds to support these initiatives and to really continue to make sure that we're doing the work that we need to do make sure that all individuals in the trans community can get the health care that they need. Awesome. Great. Well, Dr. Rosenthal and Dr. West, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. And for you, the listener, thanks for tuning in. Have a great week and stay safe. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.